Hello, and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Joining the show today is Hugo Lavallee, Portfolio Manager, who will share his views on investing in both Canadian and global equities and discuss the latest market developments. Hugo is known for his contrarian investment style, and today he's going to talk about what that means for his three funds and where he's finding opportunities to support these strategies. Those three funds are Fidelity Greater Canada Fund, Fidelity Canadian Opportunities Fund, and Fidelity Climate Leadership Fund. Today's podcast is a recorded feature session from Fidelity Canada's Vision 2023 event held recently in Toronto. We'll first hear a short presentation from Hugo, followed by a Q&A with host Pat Bolland. For Hugo, investing against the grain has paid off, and we'll hear his thoughts on 2022's market environment and recent earnings season, while looking ahead to what may be next in 2023. Hugo's unique contrarian investment style focuses on out-of-favor stocks or situations he believes may improve over the next two or three years. Hugo also identifies that with volatility comes opportunity. He preaches patience and maintaining a focus on one's long-term goals. Also today, Hugo notes which geographical regions and specific sectors are of interest to him currently. Today's podcast was recorded on January 31st, 2023. And as mentioned, this interview was recorded during the Vision 2023 event, and you'll hear a reference or two to slides displayed in the room. Also, for more podcasts from the day's sessions, please subscribe, as they'll be released in the coming days. Or, for full video replays of the event, advisors should reach out to their Fidelity rep, and investors should head to fidelity.ca slash the upside and sign up for the Upside newsletter. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently, and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Let's talk a little bit about 2022. Um, I'm a big believer in continuous improvement, intellectual honesty, and uh, it just wasn't my best year. Um, Stocks were falling, lean into risk a little bit too early. Uh, frankly, didn't listen enough to Andrew Marchese at Vision 2022, so I hope you did. Um, so the first half of the year was just a little tougher as uh, we went straight from expansion to late cycle to talk about recession with the historical rise in rates. By the second half of the year, stock picking got better. Um, thanks to some of our analysts like Bobby Reynolds on Boyd Group, David Cochran on Rogers, Chase Battelle on five below. I'm a big believer in stock picking to get ahead, and the stock picking was definitely better in the second half. The the fund I was proudest uh, about is Canadian Opportunities. Small mid-cap fund, Canadian focus, 90% in Canada. That fund was able to beat the market last year, was down only marginally. It is a product I was the proudest about last year. I've heard from some of you over the last six to eight months that you're disappointed that we closed the fund last summer. We closed the fund to stay nimble, to protect and hopefully continue to thrive and have those good long-term numbers, right? It's all about performance. So the fund's close to new money. If you're an existing holder, you can add. But it was really important to keep the fund nimble 
Because even a year like last year, or for example, I totally whiffed on the natural gas trade, we were able to pull ahead by staying nimble. The fund really thrives on volatility. And if you think about key metals, for example, just how volatile they were last year, and from the help from Lulu, who's our gold analyst, and Claire, who's our base metals analyst, to be able to trade that volatility helps us to stay ahead. Greater Canada, first year since I've run the fund that we had a negative uh, absolute year, so that was kind of disappointing. But you know, I'll talk about it a little bit later. Later in the year, we start having some more contrarian opportunities. Greater Canada is a little bit like Special SIT or Growth Company from Mark or Kane Large Cap from Dan. 50% minimum in Canada, the other 50% we can go anywhere. It's my most contrarian ideas fund, and I'll give a few examples later. And on climate leadership, we're approaching two years. The first six months of the fund is great. Last year was pretty disappointing. And frankly, I think I just need to do a better job stock picking. You know, there's like seven or eight mulligans I'd like to have uh, on that fund. I'm not a golfer, but uh, you know, I hear that's the term. You know, there's seven or eight stocks that I wish you know, would have had a different outcome or a different decision, just basically not owning them. So I think I need to do a better job stocking, and, and I think I will. And one thing I've changed for that fund is, is, is try to, instead of trying to predict the future, just trying to lean into good businesses with good return on invested capital, but they're gonna have a climate tailwind. So their business are just gonna accelerate. I think we had three significant climate newsworthy events last year, so let me just run through them really quickly. The first one is unfortunately the uh, Ukraine invasion, and I think it just brought to light that energy security is national security. And I've said it before and I'll say it again, there's just not enough freedom-loving, oil-producing countries like Canada and the world. And Canada and the United States can't produce enough energy for every other country in the world. So some countries need alternatives. And for France, it might be nuclear, and from Denmark, it might be um, uh, wind. But nobody wants to be Germany. No wants to be, one, nobody wants to be at the mercy of some rogue dictator. So renewables are now not only part of the decarbonization trend, they're also part now of the energy security trend. It's really important to understand that. And to each in its own, everybody will have a different solution depending on their country. But I think the, the emphasis on energy security is obviously even more important now, and renewables are just part of that. And the other thing is also trying to control inflation, right? So if you have more renewables, there's just alternatives to the crazy oil prices or being at the mercy of, of OPEC. So the province I live in, you know, we're 95% hydro, so our bills are up, but they're not up that much. So you put all these three things together, decarbonization, energy security, inflation reduction, that's the renewable trend now. And it led us to the Americans finally agreeing on some climate bill, right? So the Build Back Better became the Inflation Reduction Act, the IRA. And it's signed into law, and like most things that's US federal, the devil's in the details and it's complicated. So I just can just tell you that the fidelity analysts are hard at work trying to you know, figure out the details. Are there gonna be some winners or not? Which company should we invest in? And it, it's complicated, but there's a lot of things into those. There's a 30%, for example, solar residential credit. There's an extension of the BTC, the Blenders tax credit for renewable fuel. For the first time ever, there's SAF, sustainable aviation fuel. There's a huge EV credit. And that leads to changes from companies. 
for just like one anecdote that's a detail, but like the Model Y, the Tesla Model Y, the five-seater was excluded from uh, the SUV exemption for the EV credits. And I think that led to Tesla slash slashing prices on the Model Y to bring it to a price that now you can, you can finally get the $7,500 EV credits. So companies will react to that. We also think the European government and the Canadian government will be forced to react to the IRA to stay competitive. So just an example, we can produce graphite in Canada and ship it to Nevada and it's to Panasonic to make battery cells. And that will allow Panasonic, because of free trade, to claim that it's a material made in North America. But graphite needs to be transformed. And if it's not transformed in the United States, then we might lose the plant in Canada to sell to the border. So I think governments to stay competitive will have to adjust. So that's also something else that we're thinking about. So the good news of last year was uh, we did win two lippers. And simplistically, I think Fidelity's in the lipper winning business, right? And here I am today sandwiched between two guys, Mark and Dan, that have won plenty of lippers. And I'm just trying to catch up. And so we won two five-year lippers for keen opportunities in Greater Canada. And you know, we're pretty proud. And you know, these funds have been pretty tough to beat the last few years. And I just thought I'd use the plot, this platform today to thank four people. So we've had uh, four new PMs over the last few years. Connor Gordon, which you've heard from today, Chris Malzinski, Dave Way, and Brett DeLay. These guys have been kind enough to keep talking to me even though they're PMs and really helped me, especially in a year like 2022 where it felt like I kept swinging and swinging but I couldn't see the ball. Uh, these guys, these four guys were really helpful. And they've, the, my outcome would have been worse if it wasn't for them. So I just wanted to thank them. So check out their funds, KNOPS, uh, sorry, KNOPS, that's my fund. Global Small Cap Opportunities, which is Connor and Chris, who are doing a great job since it was launched last year. But also Dave Way with the Long Short All Fund and Brett with the Market Neutral Fund. So these guys are all doing a good job and there's probably something for everybody in there. So one last thing on 2022 is it was historically a bad year, right? So two statistics that I can, that really kind of stuck with me was I think it's the only the third time in almost 100 years that both bonds and equities fell, right? That's kind of significant. And you guys probably felt it more than I did because I only buy my funds. But, you know, if you have clients and you have bonds, it was, it was not an easy year. The other statistic is the S&P 500 was in the bottom, was, was the fifth percentile of historical returns, right? So the bottom 5%. So let's not all get like super negative. And you know, somebody that was always very kind to me when I lived in Boston, and a great mentor was Will Danoff. And I remember one day he told me, you go, all the richest people are optimistics and are optimists. And I'm like, well, yeah, that makes sense. And maybe I should try to be a little bit more optimistic too. So when we roll into this year, I think the market just gave us more opportunities from a contrarian investing point of view. And if you heard me speak in Arizona or Quebec City or Orlando, I ran through a bunch of metrics of tools in the toolbox after 20 years of fidelity of things that are you know, relevant to my style. And I'm not gonna go through all of them today, but just, let's just talk a little bit about the last one price the previous peak earnings, because it's a little bit specific to what I do, 
And I just want to give a few examples. So I'm going to give three examples, and actually Mark spoke about two of them, and I didn't know he was going to talk about them. I'm going to correct him a little bit on timing, and, and he was not totally right on a few things, on a few details. <laughs> He's directionally right, but he wasn't totally right on, on some facts. I'm going to correct him a little bit. But um, let's just talk about facts. So what do you do when a, when, a, when a stock's falling and the earnings are going down, and the price, the PE tends to explode, right? Let's get the conundrum in our business. Stocks are falling, stocks are getting more expensive because the earnings are disappearing. So what do you anchor to for value? What do you anchor to say, well, you know what? This is the right price to lean in. And one thing that I do is price to previous peak earnings. And you gotta use your brain to, to think, well, okay, well, was that like a one-off? And they'll, you know, some companies, have, they're one-offs, right? They'll never get back to that. But other companies, you can be optimistic, say, you know what, I think they'll go back to those earnings. So, for example, Netflix, which Mark talked about, bought him in the summer, made the stock imploded. And negative net ads, right, coming off the uh, squid game high. All of a sudden, they lose Russian net ads. You know, people are tired. You've, you've, you've circled through all the content on Netflix. The world's reopening. They lose subscribers for two quarters. Stocks get crushed. All of a sudden, all this debate appears on free cash flow generation, which is a fair debate for Netflix. They never generate cash flow, or only marginally. And the stock goes to $170, which was roughly 14 times previous peak earnings. It's not bad for a company of Netflix quality. And then what happened? We had two quarters of negative net ads. Net ads turned positive again. Content got better, right? They were able to catch up on content. Now they're promising fixed content spending. So when you roll that into a model with positive net ads, you can see cash flow inflection, cash flow turning positive. Stock has doubled since then. Another one, Meta, uh, Meta Facebook, that Mark talked about, implodes in October. They spend months and months planning their 2023 plans. They're gonna spend a gazillion dollars on the metaverse. They're gonna keep growing expenses. And then they see weakness in their top line. Margins get crushed. The stock gets crushed. But then it got to eight and a half times COVID earnings. 11 times pre-COVID earnings. Yes, there's some TikTok circus, uh, secular fears but that's not too bad for a company that has some cyclicality, right? A lot of it is in their control. Two weeks later, the company pivoted, we're cutting OPEX. And the last one is Adidas, the German company. Things were difficult, right? They're more indexed to Europe, more indexed to China, less in North America. Europe bad, China worse, stocks going down, and then they have to get rid of Yeezy, take a huge charge, Stock falls to below 100 euros. It's 10 times 2019 earnings. And, what did it, and then what happened since then? New CEO that comes from Puma, which Europeans really, really like, and China reopening. Stock's up 50%. So this, these are the things we're looking for. These moments in time where the outlook is so bad, it feels like all hope is gone, which is a Slipknot album cover, by the way. But we're looking for these pitch point, and that's what I try to do, these, these little small moments in time where the outlook is so bad that the next change can almost only be positive. 
And when these change happen, you get years of returns in months, right? If Netflix doubles in six months, doubling is five years at 15% compounded return. So you're getting years of return in mere months. And that's, what's, that's what we're hunting for constantly. There's definitely more of that later last year. And that's what we're going to be on the lookout for 2023. So with that, Pat, if you want to join me, please. Happy New Year. Good to see you. Uh, you know, I went through those metrics. I think that's fascinating because I've always known you're a contrarian. You're a bit of a value investor, too, uh, really, because uh, enterprise value versus sales versus gross profits versus recurring revenue. You look at value a lot. Yeah, like, like Mark said, you know, I think a few of us are investment omnivores, right? A little bit of this, a little bit of that. And um, I don't know, like these debates, like which box do you fit in? You know, we can sit here all day and debate Jedi versus Sith Lords or cake versus ice cream or cats versus dogs or Shakespeare versus Moliere, which is easy. Moliere is better. But, <laughs> you know, like, for me, what's important is, that's why I always give these examples, right? I think examples help understand the contrarian saw, what we're looking for. And it's, and it's always a little bit easier in hindsight, right? And I think for me, it's just, it's just a little bit easier for me to want to jump in the fire, right? And, and jump in that situation because we, we've been programmed as human beings to do the opposite, right? Run away from danger, right? Survival instincts. But, you know, when you, when you get into these moments, they're really, really painful. And I tell the analysts, stop telling me that the next two quarters are going to be difficult, right? That's why the stock is where it is. Let's try to find a price that makes sense. And let's, let's roll our thesis two, three years. Can things get better? And oftentimes, they get better before two, three years. And then, like I said, you get years of returns really quickly. So, Pat, you call it whatever you want. I'm calling it uh, contrarian investing. Okay. But you made some interesting points in your examples that you put forward. Uh, is it your sense that management is becoming more sensitive to the stock market and they're trying to address their earnings and their uh, you know, labor force and those kinds of things? Yeah, so Mark talked about that, and I agree with him. But I think companies fight back, right? Especially North American companies. So nobody's like cool, like Meta's a good example. Our stock's down 80%, no problem. Let's stay with the same strategy. Companies adapt, right? Especially American companies tend to be quite aggressive that way. So the, mar so the companies get their cues from the stock market. And I think last year was that big transition year where before it was grow at all costs, grow at all costs. Don't worry about profitability. I'm sure Mark said that to a thousand companies. And then the world's changed, right? Cost of capital is not free. So, but the world changes faster than companies can adapt. But I think like Mark said, and I agree with that, Q3 was pretty big earnings season, important that we've seen companies now starting to fight back, mm. you know, adjusting costs. And God knows, like some of these companies were so fat on costs. And, you know, if simplistically how I think about it is if you're a business with really high gross margin, most businesses, depending on your sales model, you should be able to make some profit. Sometimes it's, it's just the will to do. You know, the will wasn't there because you didn't have to. Mm. So, but once the companies start understanding that, no, the world's changed, we need to make some profits. Steve McMillan say we need to make some gap profits. 
um, you know, I think companies will fight back and it's not all doom and gloom. So I try to encourage the analysts to think about, use your imagination of a different world where companies would just act a little bit differently. Markets, as you've said several times, have been tough the last couple of years. You've had to deal with COVID. You had to deal with higher interest rates. And they came, both of those incidents came really quickly. How did you manage through that volatility? The one thing I've tried to do is to uh, repair some of the sins of the past. So, what, so let me give you a few examples. What are great Canadian stocks that I've missed from 2010-11 all till 2020? Missed the rails, sold them in 2011. I'm going to catch them next recession. Waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. Miss Boyd Group. Mostly miss Brookfield Asset Management. So we can, we can talk about these stocks, but that's not really the point. The point is COVID and last year and the recession speed gives you an opportunity to revisit some, some good stocks that you've missed in the past. Because... In general, there's longevity in good organizations. Think about Fidelity, for example. When I joined Fidelity in 2002, had been a great organization for a long time, right? And the people that were there, had, my bosses had been there since the mid-80s, and I'm there almost 20 years later. And now here I am 20 years later, and Fidelity's grown, and we've gained more market share. So there is, for certain organization and longevity to a, a good company. As much as I like to be contrarian, sometimes there's just companies that have a hard time getting out of their own way, but there's some, there's some quality organization, better business models, better mousetraps. So I think when you have these external shocks, like COVID or recession, gives you an opportunity to um, revisit those stocks that you've missed and hopefully buy them for the next 10 years. Now maybe that compounded returns over the next 10 years won't be as strong as the previous 10, but it's still going to be probably a market-beating return. So that's what I've tried to do. You know, you talk about stuff you missed, but uh, you and I have had this discussion before. You're good at stock picking coming out of recessions, right? Historically, yes. Where are you now? Like, Mark Schmale is really excited about the market, and he sees it improving and not necessarily a recession coming. We've been through it. What do you think? Yeah, I don't like discussing macro and really don't. And to me, it's all about stock picking, right? Stock picking gives us focus, purifies. The rest to me, I mean, to each its own at Fidelity, right? You've heard from different people today. But for me, it's all about stock picking. The rest is just conversation. And, you know, I think there were more opportunities later last year. And historically, look... I don't want to fail, right? Like, I had a good 03 as an analyst. I, got, I had a good 09 as a PM, and I had a good 2020 as a PM. So we'll see what this year brings. But, and if we're wrong, if Mark and I are wrong, and the year's tougher, and we make new lows or whatever, we're going to lean in, right? Like, the fund is not a static thing. It moves around. It tries to find the best risk-adjusted return all the time. So I'm always confident when things are tough, just in my ability to work with the team to, hey, let's, let's find some stocks that we think we're going to make a lot of money over the next two, three years. Tell me what's going to double over like three to five years. And I'm going to lean into those. Um, and I think that's, some, that's a skill set that I have.
You've got three mandates. They're kind of different from each other. I mean, same management style, but the mandates are different. So give me your sense of the opportunities for each mandate. And like, I don't know, technology, for instance, where would it fit? Yeah, I think a little bit more from a geographical perspective because they, you know, they have control and sell trail. But just really quickly, KNOPS, 90% Canada, small mid-cap Canada. It's Canadian fund for Canadians. And it's been a great fund since 2000, right? Um, I was the second PM on it, launched in July 2000 with Max Lemure, and it's been a pretty good Canadian fund. So we're just gonna keep trying to do that. Keynes talks for Canadian investors. Greater Canada, you're getting a little bit more contrarian, 50% minimum Canada. The rest I can go anywhere. And climate leadership, it's about that whole decarbonization trend, right? That, that mega trend of decarbonization, building a fund around that mega trend, which I couldn't fully do with my other two mandates. So it's a global fund going against the MSCI, ACWI, and really trying to live through that, taking the whole fidelity research, putting our decarbonization goggles on, and try to find some names that make sense for that product. Okay, so back up. So Canadian Opportunity says more small cap? Yes. Yeah, right, okay. Well, that's the mandate, yes. Okay, so when... But it's it's 90% Canadian, so we're talking Canadian small cap, right? And there's a lot of cheap ones uh, in tech. There was just a ton of IPOs. And one thing I do is balance sheet investing. And the market got so frothy in 2021, a lot of companies raised a lot of capital. So now here they are. The stocks have gone way down because they're either marginally profitable or not profitable. But they have like these huge overcapitalized balance sheets. So that's like an opportunity in small cap key and stocks. Well, I've actually got the list of what's in each one of these funds, and there's a lot of crossover in your top 10 of these. Are you leaning into industrials right now? Yeah, so one thing that I'm still, and I'm still working on that uh, hard, I think one of, the, one of the ideas we have internally, but it's not just me, it's some of the other PMs. There's a lot of industrials that were COVID losers because of supply chain problems, right? And actually a lot of businesses that historically have pricing power that leads to a good return on invested capital, strong returns, strong margins, strong returns. Their margins got crushed over the last year because inflation was fast, higher, faster than what they were able to charge their customers. Boyd Group's an example of that. So one thing that I'm bullish on, and I'm still, even today, uh, this morning, I was working on one of those stocks that just reported Fighting, finding industrial stocks that historically are good stocks, good businesses, high cash flow, high returns, but they've had a tough two years. Demand was a little lower, but really the margin compressed. And I believe in margin expansion, right? That's a real contrarian signal. If your margins start going back up, it's really powerful for stocks. Companies that got a little bit offside, some industrial stocks as well, a little bit too much debt. Not crazy amounts of debt, but a little bit too much debt. They were making acquisition. We're running at three, four times lever leverage. And now they're pivoting. No more M&A, paying off debt. The market likes that. Today, there's an example of that. One stock's up 10% based on that. So I'm looking for those, those opportunities. I think the market still hasn't fully caught up to those yet. Connor mentioned Boyd. What's the story behind Boyd? I don't know oh, did he? really. Yeah, he, did. he didn't mention Boyd. He said another company that supplies paints to Boyd, but I don't know what Boyd does. Yeah, so Boyd's a, it's been a great key in stock where it's, um, it's auto repair. It's 90% auto repair, 10% oh, okay. glass repair. And they've had a tough COVID, right? Initially, they've had uh, just less volume, right? As people didn't drive. 
still need to catch up a little bit on volume, but their biggest problem was they couldn't get the parts. So they, they would quote to their insurance client a price to fix a car, but then they would really struggle to fix it. They'd have to pay more for some parts or not take generic parts, take OEM parts. So their margins really got crushed. Then they were, got a little bit crushed by labor inflation, tougher to get people. And then they had to go back to their customers, renegotiate the contract. So they're kind of getting out of that right now. And you know, the stock's been good since the summer as margin, or the prospect of margins getting better uh, has lifted the stock. It's not quite an industrial, but still, in your climate leadership, you've got Canadian Pacific Railway. Uh, how does that fit with climate? So one thing I try to do in the Climate Fund is continuous learning to try to expand our horizon on what can we buy for the fund, you know, what makes sense. And I would say the number of stocks I'm considering now is bigger than it was two years ago. And a good example is the rails, or are the railroads. Because two years ago, I think, ugh, you know, transportation, I don't know, railroads, I don't think they make sense for a climate fund. But the more we dug in and would have helped with the analysts to understand that if you're Nike and you have a strong move to zero in 2035, one way to, to help solve for that is your transportation, your distribution. And the railroads are a huge carbon saver versus trucking. So, and, and they have a path to almost fully decarbonize in 10, 15 years through hydrogen, whatever that happens. But the, but the point is, is they're winners today. Mm. And we think it's going to be a tailwind to intermodal, for example. So you take a good business that's been, that's been depressed because of recession, and you have an opportunity to just you know, accelerate a little bit top line to the decarbonization trend. And that's why, to me, it makes sense. I can go through leadership. this list of uh, climate leadership because I think Mr. Carwash and Nokia and Tires are great stories. But we got to get to the questions. How do you stay optimistic given the volatile market backdrop? What are some of the things that keep you upbeat? Well, food obviously keeps me upbeat. But, uh, <laughs> love tacos. But no, seriously, I think it's important to differentiate between your personal life and your professional life. And, I, you know, you and I talked about that in Orlando. Yeah. You know, if you've been at Fidelity 20 years or 21 years like Dan or more like Andrew and more like Mark, there's been some weird moments, right? Like 9-11, yeah, working in the U.S. in that tower building, that was kind of a, you know, not so great moment. Uh, 09 recession, 08, right? Fall of 08. Is the financial system about to collapse? COVID. I remember coming home from work that day. My wife had gone get, and gone the kids from school and just sitting a whole family in the living room and telling them everything's going to be fine. And inside you're like panicking. And, you know, I, I, I think I said before, I've opened a bottle of wine that night and it was in my cheapest bottle, right? Mm -hmm. If we're all going, got to go down, I'm going to drink this. <laughs> With good wine. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not drinking my cheap bottle. <laughs> And then, you know, this moment in time, the war, you know, it's messed up, right? And it, it screws with your mind a little bit. But I think you have to differentiate between your personal feelings and work and being able to say, you know, things are tough, but there's just a lot of cheap names. And we got to lean into them. Because if you don't lean into them now, when are you going to lean into them? Which sectors are you seeing the most opportunities? We kind of covered that a little bit. But are there sectors that you generally avoid? Yeah, I don't do a lot of healthcare. A lot of people that do a lot of tech do a lot of healthcare, and I just think it's a skill set. It's a circle of competence that I don't have. Opportunities, really quickly, 
The three worst sectors in the S&P last year, unfortunately I do a lot of two of them, consumer discretionary, technology. Historically I don't do a lot of comm services, communication services, but I think those three sectors starting around uh, last summer definitely been more opportunity rich and I've continued to lean into those sectors. And I gave a, I gave a, I gave a few examples earlier. How aggressive are you when you find a new stock? Do you slowly build a position or go big? Yeah, I think we all uh, have different styles at Fidelity. I'm an incrementalist. I kind of start, it depends, but I, put a, I, tend, I tend to put an upper limit at 7%. I rarely get there, but I, I tend to incrementally go up. And you go up either because the price makes more sense today than it did yesterday, and Mr. Market's giving you an oppor- another opportunity, or sometimes the price might be higher, but Will Danoff likes to use that analogy. You're at a poker table, you just saw another card. Mm-hmm. You have more information. Your thesis is working. So those are the two ways that normally I, some people buy right away 3%, or I don't do that. I, especially with my contrarian style, stocks are falling. You're leaning in a little bit every day because you need that liquidity, right? The liquidity is available when it doesn't sound good. The first quarter that it sounds better, the liquidity is gone. So I'm an incrementalist, tend to lean in, and uh, then it's an art, frankly. It's an art, which hopefully I've gotten better at. Um, How big are your positions? And uh, that's how we build the fund. How do you define success in 2023 for you? Uh, Good dad, good husband. Good answer. Okay, stay out of trouble, right? Yeah. (laughs) Hugo, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash howtobuy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.